Well, we're talking about what is, what is a significant life. I mean, what is it really to have a significant life? When it comes time for you to leave this world um, and God, you confront God and you're standing there in front of him and God's judging you, what is going to make God say, well done? Well done. You lived a significant life. Not what will the world say you did that was a significant life, but what will God say? Dr. Adrian Rogers is going to heaven now, but he uh, was and still is one of my favorite preachers. When I want to be inspired, I tune in and, and uh, listen to some of his messages. How many of you have, like Dr. Adrian Rogers? Incredible, amazing preacher. And uh, he said, you know, it doesn't matter who you do please if you don't please God. And it doesn't matter who you don't please if you do please God. And so what we want to do is find out what God says. Wow, that's a significant life. You lived a significant life. So we're going to look at it. Jesus really made it very, very, very clear about what a significant life is. And we're going to look in the Word of God in what is called the New Testament. It is that back part of your Bible. The New Testament begins with Matthew. And we're going to go to the very next book called Mark. And we're going to go to chapter 9. And uh, we're going to read verses 33 through, through 35. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road. They're traveling to a house. And Mark writes this. When Jesus and his peeps, <laughs> that's my version, when they got to the house, Jesus asked them, that is, he asked his followers, he asked his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? So he heard them behind him having this debate, and uh, he was asking them what, what was that about. But they kept quiet, I think, because they were embarrassed about what they were talking about. Because they were talking about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the greatest. I mean, when Jesus is gone, and, and even if Jesus stays, and they didn't really know what was going on at that time, whether he was going to stay or go, but all they concerned about was, am I going to be greater than you? Am I going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And so they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Next slide. He sat down and called them around him. So Jesus kind of was listening to them. He got, he's like, oh boy, this is a teaching moment right here. Have you ever heard your kids arguing about something? And you go, all right, all right, all right, time out. Everybody come around here. Everybody come right here. We're going to have a meeting up in here. I'm going to call it to order. I'm going to lead it. Don't talk. I'm not going to ask your opinion. I'm going to tell you what's going on. Anybody ever had a meeting with kids like that? All right. And so he sat them down, and he called them around him, and he said, anyone wanting to be the greatest, I'm sure this is exactly what they wanted to hear, anyone wanting to be the greatest must be the least, and the servant of, you know what, when I was getting ready to preach this message today, that little word jumped out at me. Anytime the Bible uses a superlative like every and all and never. I mean, you need to pay attention. So God didn't call us to be servants of who we wanted to serve. He called us to be the servant of. So you don't get to choose. I remember I was pastoring a church one time. I won't say which church it is, but it was right before I came to this church, and it was in Cary. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Cary, North Carolina, and this guy, our church had grown from 85 to about 230, 240, and so the church was doing 
numerically the best it had ever done. And uh, I was just praising God for that in the office one day. And this guy said, but you know, he said, we're reaching, I've noticed we're reaching the wrong kind of people. And he was talking about people who didn't have a certain income level, people who didn't have a certain education level. Now, I didn't say it right out because I was just about 31 years old then. But I wanted to say to him, we sure are. Are you leaving soon? Because <laughs> I'll tell you about Jesus. When you say you want to be a church that will serve all, he will test you on that. He will send some people to your church that when you first lay eyes on them, you will go, ah, <laughs> and test you. Warning, he's done it right here at the bridge. And uh, I got to tell you, some people who have come to the bridge who had I judged them immediately by the way they talked or if I, if I judged them immediately by their outward appearance, I would have went ahead and made a decision right then. But those people have risen up to be some of the greatest leaders we have in this church and some of the most influential people we have in this church, some of the most generous serving, giving people we have in this church because Jesus said, Pharaoh, Bridge, you don't get to serve who you want to. If you want to be a great church, if you want to be a great church, not great in the eyes of people who, you know, look at churches in the world and go, that's a great church, that's not a, but if you want to be a great church in, God says, in my eyes, then Bridge and Pharaoh and staff of Bridge, you are going to be the servant of Amen, amen. Yes, don't you mistreat anybody who walks in this door. The Bible says we entertain angels unaware. God might just send an angel in here with a, one of those rooster haircuts. Y'all seen those? The only reason I don't have one is I have no hair right here in the middle. So I'm thinking about going with two roosters on the side. Visitors are looking at their spouse going, honey, what have we done? What have we done? <clears throat> so don't mistreat anybody. The road to true significance is paved with serving. Jesus clearly said that true greatness is when you're willing to be the least, not the, not the greatest in the eyes of the world, but least when you're willing to be a servant. Jesus didn't just teach it, he modeled it. He lived it. I love this next verse, Luke 9, 48. So succinct, so simple, so clear, Jesus said. Do y'all care what Jesus said? I mean, when a guy was dead and three days later he came back to life, I want to hear what he's got to say, don't you? Jesus said, your care for others is the of your what? Your what? Your care for others is God says, you want to know what I look at to determine if somebody's great? I look at how they treat other people. I look at how they love the unlovable. I look at how they treat the nuns, the nobodies. First Corinthians chapter 1 talks about the kind of people God chooses to do great things through. And one of the groups, so people that he chooses to do great things are, are those that are not 
Notice what the King James says. He chooses people who are not. Well, when you look that up, it means to the world, it's like they don't even exist. To the world, it's like they don't even, they're, they're not even around. The world passes them every day and doesn't even notice them. The Bible says God chooses those people to do great things. And then it tells us why. Because when God chooses somebody like that to do something great through, people know there is a great God in heaven. Amen, amen. So if you want to be great, that's what God's looking at. He's not looking at how much you give in the offering. And, of course, we're going through the summer right now, and our, our offerings are hurting. And we're, we're kind of hurting a little bit financially right now. You kind of go through that this time of year, uh, every year. So I just mentioned that, guys. So, so uh, you know, I want you to take your vacations. I want, it, I want you to do your thing. But those bills still have to be paid in the summer. So let's, let's kind of get a little sharper on that. But he says, I'm not just looking at how much you give. I'm not just looking at your generosity. I'm looking at through the course of a day, how do you treat the people you run into? How do you treat them? Very important. So what does it mean to be the least and the servant? It means to allow the Holy Spirit, as we said last week, to develop in you a very sensitive radar system. I mean, when you get up in the morning, that thing, you're, like, um, you're like a transformer. You all know the transformers? Anybody like science fiction, like those movies, Transformers? And uh, what's that big Transformer's name? Oh, he's so bad. And so when you get up in the morning and you get up out of the bed, then two little radar to come up on top of your head. As you begin to pick up around you in your home first, is somebody hurting in my home? that I can minister to? Am I just all about me? Am I just all about what's going on with me? Am I just all about what I need? Or am I noticing my wife, noticing my husband, noticing my children? Anybody who's in my home, can I serve somebody this morning before we all go our different ways? And then when you go out, then that radar's still up. Can I serve? I'm looking around. Can I let somebody in in traffic? Can I be generous? Can I be kind? Can I be loving? Can I serve somebody? Can I care for somebody? When I get to work, is there somebody, you know, when you get to work, buddy, you got all kind of stuff going on, all kind of drama. Instead of you being a part of the drama, stand back and look at it and go, who can I, who can I encourage today? Who can I bless? As you go on your vacations, as you come to church, as you walk in here on a Sunday, make it about others. You say, I feel good, man. That's great. I got a job. And Got a good report from the doctor and the bank account's up and the blood pressure's low and I'm feeling good. And Well, not everybody around you is like that. Some people here today in this service got bad news this week. Some people here in the service today, some people watching online today, they got bad news. They're discouraged. They're down. And see, that is how the body of Christ functions. The bridge is the body of Christ. We're not the whole body of Christ, but we're part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is to be, Jesus was always doing this when he walked this earth, always observant, always listening, always watching, not just the crowd around him, but in the distance, always head on swivel, 
Holy Spirit can create that sensitivity in you and you can find people to care for no matter where you are or no matter what else is in your schedule. Home, marketplace, community, church. I gave you two of five practical thoughts on uh, living a significant life. Number one, get rid of the excuses. And I'm not going to stay there long, but I just want to remind you that what you have to do is get some stuff out of your life that, ha that you're get involved in, that you're giving a lot of time to, that has only a temporary impact. And, and get, get a few things out of your life that, that, that you're so giving your energy, so giving your time, so giving your resources to, that you don't have time to give yourself to activities that have an eternal impact. That, that's really a great way to determine priorities in your life. Look at the stuff you're doing. Look at your schedule. And here's how I know what's important to you. I look at your calendar and your checkbook. See, you can tell me what's important to you all day long, but I know what's important to you. Hey, listen, I'm not judging. It's imp you can, I can get up here and tell you what's important to me all day. But you know what's going to reveal what's really important to me? Is when you open my checkbook, you look at my bank account, you look at how I'm spending my money, and you look at how I'm spending my time. And that'll tell you what's important in my life. So I want you to do that, and I want you to put two categories. Over here, put temporary, and over here, put eternal. And list the stuff that you're doing all the time that when you die, it's all over. And then look at the stuff you do that when you die, it's going to still have an eternal impact on you and other people's lives. That's a great way to get rid of your excuses. Number two, we said baby steps, baby steps. When you start out serving God and others, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, like we said, and you, want to, you say, well, how do I serve others? The thing you don't want to do is you don't want to say, I got to go big or go home. No, you don't. No, you don't. There, there, are, there are small ways to get involved. How many of you, how many of you have ever said, man, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to lose weight, so you join a gym, you make a one-year commitment, you're sold out, and you're out there working out, and all of a sudden, two weeks later, it ain't all that fun no more. Anybody with me? Done that? Been there? Bought a T-shirt? Extra large? <laughs> anyway... Um, <clears throat> double bubba. But, um, so, so don't, and the reason we don't last when we do exercise, and we say, I'm going to get myself in shape, and I'm going to go on a dime and lose some weight, I'm going to get myself in shape. The reason it don't last is because we go way overboard in the beginning. And when you go way overboard in the beginning, you can't sustain that. So just make up your mind that you're going to do what Jesus said and you're going to care for others and just start small. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Baby steps. First Chronicles 28.9 reminds us that it isn't how big what we do is. That isn't what is the most important thing to God. The Lord sees every what? Heart. It's your heart. It's your heart and understands and knows every plan and thought. So now let's look at three more things this week as we shut this uh, little two-part series down. Number three, number three, don't be the Lone Ranger. Don't be the Lone Ranger. When it comes to ministry, don't do it alone. Even the Lone Ranger had, yes, 
They called him the Lone Ranger, and he had one of the best friends, Tonto. Matter of fact, Lone Ranger would have been dead a long time ago if it wasn't for Tonto. Tonto saw stuff Lone Ranger didn't see. We're always better together. I got to tell you, the very best friends I have here on this earth, the very best friends I have were formed, those relationships were formed because we did ministry together. We helped people together. Where am I? Any Belize people here today? Give me a yell. They're all, uh, they're all sleeping in. They'll be here for the second service. I did see a couple of them volunteering out there in the hallway, so, uh, you know. All right. Uh, so, well, I went on a Belize trip last year, so I'll tell you about my experience. I really got close to the people on that trip. I'm telling you, when you do a mission trip, when you join a ministry team, and it doesn't have to be here, because I don't want you to think this is a recruitment sermon. I hope this sermon will challenge you to get involved here at the church, but you don't have to volunteer here. You can volunteer at the soup kitchen. You can volunteer at uh, the Fordham House. You can volunteer at the Wayne Crisis Pregnancy Center. You can volunteer in a lot of different places. So it's just not, I'm just not talking about the bridge, not just talking about the bridge. I'm talking about anywhere you can serve that will have an eternal impact on people, you're going to develop relationships of a lifetime. Some of you who are battling loneliness, would do yourself a huge favor if you would start hooking up with a team to minister to other people. Here's what happens when loneliness comes, and I'm not picking on you because I've felt lonely too, and I'm not picking on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but a lot of times the reason we're lonely is because over time we've kind of become about me, and then we begin to talk about, well, you know, nobody cares, and nobody Listen, you're a child of God. Flip that on the other side and go, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stop waiting for somebody to come to me and pay some attention to me because it looks like that ain't going to happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be Jesus to somebody. I'm going to hook up with Pastor Jimmy, Brian, our outreach pastor, and I'm going to get on one of the outreach teams and, or I'm going to go on a mission trip or I'm going to go to Kentucky or I'm going to, you know, we make a mission trip to Kentucky in case you didn't know. As a matter of fact, all right, praise God. I was afraid to ask, you know, I just. So right here is the, the Kentucky um, mission trip back. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to go to Kentucky to be a blessing. On the way out, you get one of these today. We have these for you. And you put school supplies in here. And there's a list of things. You don't have to get all the things. Remember what I said a while ago? Start what? Small. You don't have to buy everything on the list, but maybe God's blessing you financially right now, and you can get everything on the list. Great. And fill this up with school supplies, and then bring it back to the church. All the instructions are right here. All the dates and everything are right here on this little card. So on the way out, pick up one of these. See, you've already started. You've already started serving. You've already started becoming great. God bless you. You've already started, some people are allergic to me, you've already started a significant life by picking up one of these bags today and going, it ain't about me today, it's going to be about somebody else today. And that's the day your significant life begins. 
And you look Satan right in the eye and go, you are not going to make me feel sorry for myself. You're not going to make me withdraw. You're not going to make me become bitter. You're not going to make me become a whiner and a complainer. I'm going to become a servant of the Most High God, and I'm going to live a significant life. Amen, amen? And right there is one way to do it. I mean, we'll put that right in your hand. Hey, listen, we're not even going to charge you for this. <laughs> and then these, you, know, you guys know these, the just because cards, where you take a card and do a random act of kindness for your neighbor or the guy behind you at Starbucks and you pay for his coffee or you pay for somebody at McDonald's. I always say, you know, if a van full of painters are behind you, get the next car behind them, you know? <laughs> And then you leave the card and you tell the girl, hey, I'm going to pay for their meal. You give this card to them. And they've experienced a random act of kindness. Maybe the person you did that for, we've got stories we could tell, hundreds of stories we could tell about this. People saying, man, when I got that card, I was low. I was at a low point in my life. I don't even know who you people are. I don't even know who the bridge is. But we got our um, uh, contact information on here. And I just wanted to contact you and thank whoever did this. Thank your church. See, that's what makes you great. That, that's what makes you significant. It isn't what you, it isn't, you know, and I love the fact that we have people in our church who have attained very high places in society and our community and people who make wonderful incomes. I'm all thankful for that. But I got to tell you, man, because a lot of those people are very generous, and that's how we're able to do all the things you see. But it isn't the amount, it's the heart. It's the heart of a person. And so I just encourage you, start today. Pick up one of those bags. Pick a, you can go by the Connect Center, pick up a pack of these. I think there's five of these in a pack. And, and make up your mind, this week I'm going to give these away and I'm just going to bless some people who don't even know me or they're not even going to know I did it and I'm going to just let God get all the glory. Amen? God uses relationships to accomplish his purposes in this world. Do it together. Do it as a team. So here's a couple ways you can do it individually and then there are many, many, many more ways you can hook up with a team. If you want to find out about that, all you got to do is go online to our website or call the church office. So God uses relationships. Don't be the Lone Ranger. Look at what it says in Mark 6, 7. Look what it says. It says, Mark 6, 7, and he called the 12 disciples what? Together. How many of you know Jesus didn't need anybody to do what he did? He didn't need anybody. Jesus could have flared his nostrils and done it all. But Jesus knew we're always better together so he called them he called his 12 disciples together and then he divided them up but he didn't send them out alone he sent them out how two by two because we're better together you walk in here maybe you're this is your first Sunday or you've just been coming for a few weeks you walk in here you see a handful of people on the stage and you see some people out in the hallways with t-shirts and stuff I gotta tell you man there's a ton it takes a ton of people all during the week that you never see Graphics people and music people and video people and hospitality people and children people and emergency response people and outreach teams, dramas and skits and lighting and sound. Hey, listen, follow up. You know, your, your skill, your ability may not put you up here on the stage. How many of you know that behind this sheetrock or whatever this is, 
on the, you know, these walls. How many of you know behind these walls there are steel beams? And those steel beams, even though you can't see them, they are very, very, very important because they are holding the roof up over your head. I mean, see, we see the sheetrock or we see that outer wall, you know, and it's painted nice, and we go, oh, isn't that an awesome wall? That wall would be nothing if it wasn't for what's behind it, that steel beam. We got people in our church who are like that steel beam. Most of you are going to be like that. Look, most of the people who serve in the bridge aren't going to be up here. Most of the people who serve at the bridge are going to be like that steel beam. You're going to be behind the scenes. But let me tell you what's awesome about that. The less you are in front of the crowd, the bigger your reward in heaven. Did you know that? Your reward's going to be bigger in heaven than my reward because I get to walk up here on Sunday. Y'all get to see me use my gift. A lot of times you guys clap for me and say amen. I know people who serve in this, this church who never get a clap, who never get a, hey, amen, you're doing a great because they, they work on teams like our follow-up team. When visitors come and we get their information, we have a team that goes into action on Monday following up with those folks saying, hey, man, we were glad you came. Wanted you to know we noticed you came. And listen, we want you to come back if this is God's will for you. So that team, nobody, we never bring that team up here. We probably should. We never bring them up here. They never get applause, but they serve faithfully. They serve faithfully and they serve together. Administration. How many of you um, hate paperwork and administration and numbers and filling in papers? I hate that. I got to tell you something, man. If I didn't have Jim Gilligan... As, his, as my administrator and his whole team who do all that stuff, this church, this church wouldn't be, it wouldn't be half the size it is. It wouldn't be a third the size it is. Because they are like the steel beams. I'm like that sheetrock that everybody sees. But behind me are these incredible teams who do really the hard work of making this church function as well and effective as it does. Thank God for administrative people. We have volunteer opportunities there, life group people. How about pastoral care? Listen, let me just say this, I, and I gotta hurry. Some of you, some of you folks, you, you're never gonna be up here, but you know what? You got a gift that when you walk in a room where people are suffering, they go, oh. It's a gift. It's a gift on you. It's a spiritual gift that when you walk in a room, I could walk in that room, and they go, oh, it's pastor, you know. But when you walk in that room, they know your track record, and not only do they know your track record, but they, there's just something on you. There's just an aura about you. And you walk in and you've got that gift of encouragement. You've got that peaceful countenance. You've got that, that power of God, presence of God. And when you walk in that room, they are just encouraged. All of a sudden, they're hopeful. You're better at it than I am. Pastor Andy's our pastoral care pastor. He's got it all over him, don't he? I mean, when he walks in a room, you know, everybody's like, oh, there's Pastor Andy. I walk in with him, they go, oh, there's Pastor Andy. So, I mean, that's what he said to me. So, I mean, I went in the kids' ministry the other day, and I said, hi, I'm Pastor Farrell. And this little boy said, Thomas, you. <laughs> yes. 
Listen, man, I can walk over there in the kids' ministry and go, who's the old guy? Millie can walk in over there, and it's like, oh, she's here to sing and be childlike herself. <laughs> but uh, do you understand what I'm saying? So you might be gifted in care. And Pastor Andy's putting together pastoral care teams all the time to send out and just care for people. How many of you know we live in a time when people are wounded, hurting. They need some love. They need some, yeah, let me tell you what. We got this stage and we got the technology. That ain't why people come here. You know why people go to a church? Because they feel like somebody cares about them, yes. They feel like somebody loves them. And I tell our staff all the time, you know, I love Sunday mornings and I love our worship and I love the different elements and the creativity and I love how it's casual and all of that. I love all that. I love our music. I, I just love everything about our church. But I'm going to tell you something. It isn't what happens here on Sunday morning that draws people here. It's the love that you do during the week. So ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing? What role am I playing? I mean, I, I even got a team of people who helped me with my sermons. And I know you are thinking, thank God. Because I, I come up with a C sermon. I think it's an A. I give it to them. They make it an A. And the thing I love about this team is if I ever flop on a Sunday, I can go, they, they messed it up. It was great. <laughs> so not only when we work together does more get done here at the bridge, but it's at a higher level of excellence when we work together. And it's also a lot more fun. Isn't it a lot of fun? I, I see people come out here and I see pictures on Facebook where people are out here in the hallways during the week and they're serving and they're doing stuff. And I remember when we did the shoes, you know, and there were just thousands of shoes. And I remember when we brought clothes and we were getting all that stuff ready for, for people who had been in a hurricane or tornado or whatever. And I just remember our folks came together to do something great, but they had a ball. They laughed and had a great time and made friendships. I hope I'm making sense. If you're sitting on the sidelines, you're missing out on an incredible opportunity to connect and bond with the body of Christ and to accomplish great things for God. Because when you do stuff with somebody, the fulfillment level you have goes up. The quality goes up. The joy goes up. Here's a statement that's worth writing down. I should have put it in your notes. When you work as a team, the highs are intensified and the lows don't sting nearly as bad. Isn't that true when you're on a team? When you're on a team of, of people and you're not doing ministry by yourself, then when you have a victory, it's really a lot better when you get to celebrate with a bunch of people. And then when you have maybe a little defeat, it doesn't hurt as bad because you got other people to share that with too. And the people said. So get rid of excuses. Get rid of you. Uh, Get rid of your uh, um, reasons you're not involved. Throw those out the window. Baby steps, start small. Number three, don't be the long ranger. Number four, and this is, this is uh, something that we do here at the bridge, and not every church does this. I've been in church all my life. My dad's a pastor, and, uh, or was a pastor. He's retired now. But um, I did, I've been in church all my life. How many of y'all remember the old days in church when we had Sunday school and the junior high boys needed a teacher? So we found people with two qualifications. 
they were a Christian and they had a pulse. And what we would do is we would not tell them they were going to be the teacher of the junior high boys. We would put our arm around them and walk them down the hallway. And when we got right at the door where the boys were, we pushed them in, slammed the door. If you'll notice, old school church, the deadbolt was on the outside of the door. And we would, we would deadbolt and go, God bless you. God's going to bless you. He's going to help you. And then we'd leave because they'd be crying and stuff. So uh, we would leave. So here at the bridge, we let you experiment. So let's say you want to try out kids' ministry. We will let you shadow. We'll let you take a Sunday. If you want to come to early service and shadow and then attend the second service, you can do that. And let's say on a Wednesday night you like our Royal Rangers or our Impact Girls. We'll let you shadow. We'll let you go in the Impact Girls and just watch on a Wednesday. We'll let you go out to the Rangers uh, huts back here and let you watch. We'll let you go into the uh, student ministry with Pastor Josh and just watch how they do things. Um, we, we just think that helps because, you know, you can get thrown into something and go, you know what, I thought this was going to be a great match for me, but it really isn't. I'm not really comfortable here. So we give you an easy out because we don't want you to be somewhere you're going to be miserable. Now, you're not going, you might not be at your 10 spot yet, but you might be at a five or a six and go, well, this isn't a 10, but I can serve here. And then we know the principle of God's word where it says that if we're faithful in a five or six level, he will make an opportunity at the 10 level. Amen. If we're faithful in the small things, he will know that we'll be faithful in the, in the bigger things. So sometimes he will test us to serve in a place that we don't really feel that comfortable, but we're okay. You know, we're okay. We can still have some fruit there and, and you'll serve. Because here's a little saying we have at our church. Here's a little saying. Listen to this. I want to be in, in my sweet spot. I want to be at my 10 level. I want to be in something that, boy, this is really where I want to be. Um, but uh, we are willing, all of us here at the bridge are willing to give our heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. So let's say that your sweet spot is student ministry, but we're maxed out with volunteers in student ministry, but let's say we're really hurting in the nursery. Then if you're committed to God and you're committed to this church, then you'll say, you know what, that's not my sweet spot, but I, since that's a big need at the church, I'll give my heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. Then when God sees you do that, He's blessed and by that. Do you know you can bless the Lord? Matter of fact, I think the thing that blesses the Lord more than anything is when we have the right attitude. And when God sees you willing to serve in that spot that's not really your sweet spot, he will make a way for you to be in your sweet spot eventually. Now, those of you who have decided you're not going to do anything until you can get in your sweet spot, I just have to tell you, you're probably never going to get there because you don't start in your sweet spot. How many people know that? I didn't in my ministry. When I was called to be a preacher, I didn't start there. I did some things that really weren't my sweet spot, and then God opened that up, and I got to tell you, baby, I'm in my sweet spot now. I mean, y'all going to have to wait. I mean, I'm going to be like this before I'm lead this church. I'm going to be like, okay? <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'll take that. It was a little weak, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I heard about one guy who said, I have the spiritual gift of teaching, so the pastor gave me a little class to teach, but none of the students had the spiritual gift of listening. How many of you have ever been in that predicament? Amen? 
And so you give up. So here's what I'm saying to you. Don't give up. If you're not in your sweet spot, don't give up. Don't give up on us. Don't give up. Hang in there. Hang in there. Now, now let me just talk to you about how we help you because we feel a responsibility to help you discover who you are so you'll know where you ought to be because you might be sitting there this morning going, you keep talking about that sweet spot. And I got to tell you, Pastor, I have no idea what mine is. We're going to help you with that. So if you go to our website, bridgechurch.cc, or you go out here to the Connect Center and pick up one of our Next Steps card and follow the instructions on that Next Steps card, or you just call the church one day as a last resort, don't, don't call, though. Go to the website. All the information's right there. I mean, we don't mind if you call, but we're just going to tell you where it is on the website. But we'll help you any way we can. But here's what we do. We put you in a classroom, seminar-type situation where you do a personality test. And you can find out a lot of things about your personality. Now, to tell you how important that is, the staff does this. We've done it several times because it really helps you know what you're good at. And what did we talk about last week? Don't try to make your weaknesses strong. Now, spiritually, of course, you want to do that. But in the giftings area, don't try to become strong at what you're weak at. Focus on your strengths. You remember the, the little illustration I gave you about the, the animal school, you know, and how they were going to make the eagle learn how to swim and all that kind of business? Eagles weren't made to swim. Eagles were made to soar. And so whatever your strength is, so what we want to do is help you by giving you a personality test. Then when the personality test is done, we'll give you the spiritual gifts test, and then we will sit you down with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, and you'll just talk to them about what you discovered in that class about your gifting and your personality and where you might best fit in ministry here at the church. And then we let you experiment and try out different things because we want you to be in that place where you can be most fruitful, most effective, and most fulfilled. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. When you begin serving with the gifts God gave you, you're not a spectator anymore. And I wonder sometimes how many people sitting in the church are going to go to their grave having never experienced the thrill of serving God and others the way God designed them to. Please don't let that happen to you. Please don't let that happen to you. We'll help you. We'll help you. Number five. Number five. Recreate and meditate. Recreate and meditate. So what are the things we've talked about so far? Get rid of excuses. Start small, baby steps. Don't be the Lone Ranger. Experiment. And here's number five, and this is it. Recreate and meditate. So we're going to end on a balance because it's really, really easy in church for people who love to serve and are willing to serve to serve too much. You can go out of balance in this area. So for those of you right now who are serving too much, and I'm going to explain what that is in just a minute, and to those of you who are going, man, I haven't been serving, but boy, this two-part series has really got me fired up. I want to get involved. I want to, I want to go ahead and warn you now that you've got to keep a balance in your life. You've got to keep a balance. We need to balance as we both serve, and this is a very important thing I'm about to say, so listen. And as we create margin in our life so we can be refreshed. Y'all ever heard the word burnout? Burnout is people who have 
this flow going out of their life, but there's no flow into their life. You remember the parable of the ten virgins and their oil and their lamp uh, ran out? Now, those of you Royal Ranger guys and Scout guys, you know about those oil lamps. If the oil runs out, and some of you old people know about that too, some of we old people know about that. If the oil burns out of the lamp, then what's going to burn? The wick. And, and how long will that wick last if there's no oil? Not long. And the wick is you. And if there's plenty of oil in that lamp, it isn't the wick that's burning, it's the oil. And that oil for us is the Holy Spirit in our life. It is our intimacy with Jesus. So when you get away from Jesus and the Holy Spirit is not being refreshed in your life, then all of a sudden you stop serving out of a replenishment from God and you start serving out of yourself. And when you start serving out of yourself, number one, you're not giving people what they need. And number two, you're going to be burned out before too long. Now, some of you are struggling with this. you got too much going on and you're struggling with this. So listen to me today. God did not call you to meet everybody's needs. God did not call you to meet everybody's needs. Some of you wear a Superman cape because you think you're Superman or Superwoman. You're doing too much. But some of you have even shed that and you've put on the cloak of a Messiah. You've got a Messiah complex. You think you're somebody, if you're not touching it, if you're not doing it, if you're not involved in it, it's not going to get done right. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. We're never going to know till you leave. But yes, it will. It will get done. So don't trade your Superman complex for a Messiah complex. Now let's talk about margin. This is important. Margin. You need to be intentional about setting aside times in your life to stop and reflect. Now, let me just tell you how to do that. You say, I can't do it. I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. First of all, get a calendar and, and plan your days. Some of you guys say, I don't have any time to be with my wife. It's because you don't schedule it. You schedule it. Friday night's our night. Yeah, but somebody, I don't care who called. President Obama, I don't care. Tell him he's got to wait the next week. Because Friday night's your date night. Now, that's the only time you spend time with your spouse, but that might be your real special night. Who's got a date night? Who's got a date night up in here? Would you, man, get them down there and slap somebody. (laughs) That's why we got marriage issues, because we don't. Now let me ask that question again. Maybe you weren't ready. How many of y'all, about once a week, you have a date night? Come on. Amen. Okay. Three. All right. See? That's why we hired a full-time marriage counselor for this church. Isn't it amazing what guys put into their marriage before they're married? And then as soon as they get married, they're like, sup? For dinner. Amen, amen. So guys, we got to stop and reflect. We got to have time. We got to have margin in our life. So you schedule your devotional time. And somebody goes, man, uh, hey, Farrell, I can play golf at 8 o'clock, so-and-so morning. I go, I can't play. Well, you got something? Yes. Uh, What have you got? A meeting. I got a very, very, very important meeting. I cannot miss it. 
You know who that meeting's with? God. That meeting's with God. I've got it in my calendar. I've got it scheduled. I can't go play golf when I've got my meeting with God. You've got to schedule it. I had to learn this the hard way. Tried to keep my schedule in my mind. Tried to keep it. I got, okay, Thursday. You can't do it. You can't do it. You've got to be very intentional about setting aside time to be alone, to stop, reflect. Why? Why is that important, Pastor? Because if serving is about God making me more like Jesus, I've got to have time to stop and reflect and see what he's doing in my life. Some of you serve so much, you don't even know what God's doing in your life. And some of you, you used to serve and you were sweet. You're still serving, but you're grouchy now. Amen. Y'all seen that happen? I serve, and when they started, I serve, and I love Jesus, and I serve. But they, they got more and more and more because their heart is that of a servant, and they added more and more and more and started leaving Jesus out and added more and more and more, and all of a sudden they became an old sourpuss. That's a Greek word right there. Write that down. <laughs> so a lot of people serve with their body at the expense of their heart. God is more concerned about what he is accomplishing in your heart than what you are accomplishing in a task you're doing for him. Did you get that, what I just said right there? God cares more about your heart. Now, people, when you preach like this, people always take it to the extreme. You always have a few people who go, call up on Sunday morning, 10 minutes before church, and go, hey, I'm reflecting this morning. I'm supposed to be in nursery, but I'm reflecting. No, you can't. You got to let us know when you're going to be reflecting, baby. You can't be reflecting 10 minutes before you're supposed to be in the nursery. Leave me up here by myself. So there's, you got to use your common sense. I always love when I preach like this and try to, you know, don't do too much. I always have somebody who takes it too far and goes, okay, I'm out today. No, wait. You just need to start looking at your situation. You know, it might not be God's stuff he wants you to stop. It might be a whole bunch of other stuff in your life. But it could be some stuff you're doing here at the church. It could be. So you have to ask, what's happening in my heart? Am I growing? Am I becoming more like Jesus? I'm telling you, he cares way more about what's happening in your heart than he does about what you're doing for him. Now let's look at this last verse here. Mark 6, 30 through 32. The followers of Jesus came back to him. Now that's the disciples. They had been out ministering. They came back to him. They told Jesus all they had done and taught. He said to them, that's awesome, all you have done and taught. is so awesome, so let's do more. Is that what he said? He said to them, come away from the people. That doesn't sound right, does it? I mean, the crowds, it was, he was pop, they were reaching more people than they'd ever reached before. More people were attending their gatherings than ever before. Does that sound familiar? Come away from the people. Be by yourselves and who said that? See, some of y'all think Jesus just went, whoosh, I want more. Whoosh, give me more. No. Look at the next slide. 
there were many people coming and going. So man, ministry, they were having success. Church growth. They had had no time even to eat. I got to be honest with you. I've very seldom been that busy. All right. <laughs> Number 32. So they went by themselves. They went what? Into a I mean, you can get on a boat, just get out in the middle of the water, and people standing on the shore going, we need you. And you just keep hollering, what? <laughs> I mean, Jesus knew, didn't he? Get on a boat and go. And then if you're going to get out of the boat, make sure you're in a, get by yourself. Jesus understood the disciples were not Superman. He could have tapped into their desires for greatness and pushed them harder and tried to get them to achieve even more, but he wanted them to rest. He wanted them to be in a quiet place. He wanted them to have a chance to think about, reflect on what God was doing in their personal life. Serving is just one part. It's an important part, but it's just one part. So let me just close. How do you have a significant life? Here's how you do it. You see a need and meet it. You see a need, meet it. Walk up here on a Sunday. There's trash. There's somebody struggling to get their kids out. Some mom whose child, whose husband's been deployed, and she's got three kids and two strollers, and it's misting rain. She's trying to get her umbrella open. Don't just walk by and go, "Look, honey," and that's sweet. Like the guy in the video. Some of us are like the guy in the video. We don't even know what's going on. Head on swivel, baby. Radar. People are hurting. People need our help. People need assistance. So how do I have a life of significance? It begins with surrender to Jesus. And some of you have surrendered to Jesus and some of you haven't. Some of you have been born again. And some of you haven't. Some of you think your good works are going to get you right with God. They will not. Jesus tells us over and over that there's no way you can become truly significant unless you surrender your life to him. The opportunity to live a significant life was made possible through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm imperfect. I'm an imperfect human. And I couldn't have a relationship with the one and only perfect God, so somebody had to pay for my imperfection, and Jesus did that on the cross. And that connected me back to God because I accepted what he did on the cross, and I accepted his resurrection from the grave, and I accepted him into my heart as my Lord and Savior, and that connected me to God who could make my life significant if I would obey him. Significance begins with you surrendering your will to God's will. And we want to help you with that. 